Hi, my name's Peter, and our second Bible reading today is taken from John chapter 19, verses 16 through to 42. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shears, one for each of them, with the, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From this time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had, been, had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, and put the sponge on a, on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. 
Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, my name's John. Grab your Bibles. We're going to reflect now on that passage. But let's join our hearts in prayer once again. Heavenly Father, as we come and reflect on this somber passage, help us to see the wonder and the glory of your love for us in the face of Jesus Christ. Move our hearts as it's meant to be moved. Help us to respond in the way we must respond. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I wonder whether you are similar to me. And what I mean by that is, I'm a little bit sentimental. I'm that type of man. But when you hear a song on the radio or on the internet that reminds you of your childhood or what you grew up listening to in your younger years, do you get a bit sentimental? Well, just last week, it was Elvis Presley's song that did it for me. Can't help falling in love with you. You know the words? Wise men say only fools rush in. It got me feeling a bit sentimental. And you know that song, don't you? Those of you from the 60s or 70s. Wise men say only fools rush in, but I can't help falling in love with you. Now, of course, I won't sing it, but I did try to serenade Yvonne with that song. But she just wanted me to stop, probably because I sounded like a cat being squeezed. I even tried to play it on the ukulele for her, but she wouldn't have it. But that's what happens sometimes, doesn't it? When you hear something that you're familiar with, it brings to mind memories. But my question for us all today is, what happens to you when you hear the story of the cross of Christ? And for many of you, you've heard it a thousand times. And so what happened to you? just when we had the Bible reading not long ago. I don't think we can ever get sentimental about this story, can we? I mean, just imagine what that day would have been like, not just hearing the callous shouts of the crowd, crucify him, crucify him, but seeing the dark crimson blood seep from the forehead of Jesus as the crown of thorns punctured his head. And as you hear of the nails hammered again and again into his hand, and as you you see the spear pierced into his side, and as you notice the sky going pitch black, and as you hear the words of Jesus, his final words, it is finished. What happens to you when you hear the story of the cross? Well, what has happened for me as I was reflecting on this passage once again was, why would anyone go through all of that for me and for you? It is not because of the uncontainable love of God for us. 
how in Elvis Presley's song, wise men say only fools rush in. And that's because love often drives people to do foolish things. Just like what I tried to do the other week, try to serenade Yvonne even though I can't sing. But when we consider the cross and we see the display of the love of Christ, it just looks like foolishness in the eyes of a watching world. I mean, who would do any of that out of love? But that was exactly what Jesus has been teaching all along, preparing his disciples for. As the kernel of wheat, Jesus teaches, as the kernel of wheat falls to the ground and die, or as he washed his disciples' feet to show them how he will serve them and love them, or when he commanded them to love one another just as I have loved you. Well, now we come to that point. Here it is, the display of the love of Jesus. And it just looks like utter folly. I mean, look at what he was willing to do to be shamed by the horror and disgust of the cross. You see, the crucifixion, historically, it was the most brutal and inhumane way of prolonging the death of a criminal. It, it was left for the worst of criminals in so the petty crimes. They don't get crucified. And if you were a Roman citizen, you would not be crucified unless it was sanctioned by the emperor himself. It was the Persians who invented the crucifixion. The Greeks used it, but the Romans perfected it, designed not only to cause excruciating pain, but to bring shame and to induce horror. And that is what we see here. That was what Jesus was willing to do out of love. And I want us to keep that in mind today. This was happening. This happened for you. Look at verse 17. Carrying his own cross, he went to the place of the skull. Now what happened was that Jesus was carrying his own crossbeam to the place of the crucifixion. After already being flogged and beaten to a terrible mess, and as he walked the streets of Jerusalem to, to get to that little hill, he was shamed and humiliated and abused along the way. And when he was finally nailed to the cross and hoisted up, he was on display for the world to see. And Pilate, he wanted the world to see the crime for which he was crucified. And we see that in verses 19 to 20. Have a look with me. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened it to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And then a bit later on, and the sign was written in Aramaic, that is the language of the Jewish people, Latin, the official language of Rome, and Greek, the common language of the empire. Now, his crime was that he was the king. Now, not everyone was happy with that, and so look at verse 21. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And then verse 22, Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. It was, in a sense, Pilate's last word on the matter, or his last laugh. He, he would have been so angry at this point that he was cornered and set upon by the Jews to have Jesus crucified and so in spite and in contempt of them he was in 
in a sense, humiliating them back. This is your king, and this is as good of a king you'll ever get. But of course, the irony we see here is that Jesus truly was the king. Though Pilate did it out of spite, though it was uh, the Jewish leaders who handed him over, it was ordained by God to say to the world that this is the true king of kings. But yet he was willing to be humiliated like that. Remember, he is the king. And this story, that is what it does to me. It reminds me, my Lord was willing to do that for me and for you, though he is king. But to make matters worse, as we read on, whatever Jesus was wearing that was divided amongst the soldiers, and they cast it lots for the expensive undergarment, and we're told it fulfills prophecy, the prophecy in Psalm 22. What that was highlighting was the shame that Jesus was going through, and we can't forget that here. He's the king, remember, but yet to be shamed in such a way. What king would allow himself to be stripped in such a way? You see, what we may not realize was that those crucified were often crucified in the nude. No loincloth to preserve their modesty. But here the king of the universe, shamed for the world to see, and was out of love. It's why Christianity was mocked and and even today, still mocked by much of the world. You may have seen this ancient graffiti. It's an inscription carved on a wall in Rome. It was discovered in 1857. It's known as the Alexamenos Graffito. It's a picture of a human body with a donkey's head on a cross. And down the bottom, you see a man by the name of Alexamenos. And the inscription reads, Alexamenos worships God. Now, what do you think this inscription is saying? What point was it making? Well, it's making the point, who in their right mind would serve and worship such a god? It's making a mockery of Christians. And the Greeks, they thought likewise. It's madness, foolishness that Christians would believe in such a thing. Celsus, a second century Greek philosopher, he mocked the Christians who would believe in a lowly carpenter who was nailed to a cross. He said, what drunken old woman telling stories to lower a small child to sleep would not be ashamed of muttering such preposterous things. And so, why did Jesus do it? Was it not because of love? A love that would seem so foolish in anyone's eyes. But such is the love of Christ. It's a love that, that's foolishness. But now we come to a beautiful scene in this passage where we see the love of Jesus expressed so personally. Now if you were hanging on the cross and you've been hanging there for quite a while, your body is fatigued, you've beaten, been beaten up so much, your muscles are in spasm because you're getting weaker and weaker, your mouth is parched because of the hot glaring sun, and your breathing is labored because you don't have energy to pull your body weight up so that your chest cavity can open and so that you may take a breath. If you were hanging there on the cross like that, what would be going through your mind? Probably too tired to be thinking about anything, too weak to be worried about anything other than to cry out in excruciating pain. But what do we see here? 
I think it's a, a beautiful scene because Jesus he shows his love for his mother so so personally. His concern for her well-being even as he dies. Have a look at verses 26 to 27. Dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. Perhaps what Jesus was highlighting here was the new spiritual family, the family of faith you enter into. Even as he himself was dying for the world, his love is so personal. And just as the love of Christ appears just like foolishness, it is personal, but it is also very costly. It was not just the pain of being flogged, the shame of being exposed, the horror of the brutality, but the cost of it all. And there's no greater cost than to give your life. And that was what Jesus did out of love. And it must make you think, doesn't it? How highly Jesus must think of the world to do such a thing. Or more precisely, how highly Jesus must think of you to do such a thing for you. Now you see in these final verses, we see this great cost by God's design and purpose. Not like the Elvis Presley song where fools just rush in and do foolish things. The love of Jesus here was by God's design, ordained by God before the creation of the world, out of love. You see, Jesus was not a sad, passive victim who could not help himself and, and just died a tragic death at the hands of wicked people. But that it was by his own will that he laid down his life. Look at verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed, notice that, he knew he was in control. And so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. He was in complete control of the moment of his own death. And then verse 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. Three words, or one in the original, which is perhaps the most relieving, comforting, and reassuring of words in the whole of Scripture. Because it means here that the work of salvation is done. It is completed. It is finished. And not so much that Jesus experienced all the physical pain and torture of the crucifixion. But what was complete was that he took upon himself what our sins deserve. He experienced the full judgment of God in our place for our sins. And so on the cross, Jesus went to the depths of the hell of Golgotha. And that's the great cost. Not just merely dying physically, but experiencing the agony of the wrath of God in our place, so that he might snatch us back from everlasting shame and judgment. It is finished. And again, notice how much he was in control of his own death. In verse 30, he bowed his head. You see, he didn't just had his head flopped over. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. And that is the costly love of Christ. And so if you ever doubt, does Jesus love me? Or if you ever question, how much does he love me? Well, do you know what the answer is? With his arms stretched out, 
this much. Now even after Jesus died, we can see how much of the events surrounding his death was according to God's designed plan and purpose. The Jewish people could not allow the body of Jesus stay on the cross on the Sabbath. They were profoundly religious, which is quite ironic, because it would mean if the body was on the cross, that would defile the land. And so they asked Pilate to have his legs broken. And that's because that would hasten the death. And so the soldiers would come around with an iron mullet and would smash their shins. And what would happen then is if you're on the cross with broken shins, broken legs, you wouldn't be able to support your body weight and you wouldn't be able to lift your body up to, to take a breath of air. And soon you'll die from suffocation. And notice that even here, the death of Jesus was according to the plans of God. It was no accident that they already found Jesus dead. It was to fulfill scripture so that his bones will not be broken. Instead, he will be pierced. And so look at verse 34. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Perhaps that's an indication, according to medical opinion, of the traumatic shock Jesus experienced when his heart was pierced. Or, or perhaps it is making a theological point. The one who said, if you are thirsty, come to me. Now he poured out his life so that they may have life. And such is the costly love of Christ. And so here we see a love that looks so foolish in the eyes of the world. A love that is deeply personal. A love that is extraordinarily costly. But what are we meant to hear and see? Well, what we're meant to hear and see is that it is a love that is for you. And so how many times have you heard the story of the cross? How does it make you feel each time? You see, my fear is that I become desensitized to the most brutal callous, violent, unspeakable act that Jesus bore for you and for me. That he went to the cross to take on the wrath of God in our place. You see, this is one story, one event that we may have become so familiar with, but we can never, ever become sentimental about it. It's meant to shock us again and again and again. Jesus went through hell. For you and me. Have you thought about it that way? You see, no one is worth that much, right? Who would ever dare claim or in their right mind say, that is what I'm worth. That's exactly what Jesus should have done for me. We, we, we can't claim that. We're not worth that much. But yet, that was exactly what Jesus did for us. And that was what Jesus thinks of us. A burden he carried for us. A body broken for us his side pierced for us and his blood flowed for us and that should just shock us again and again and again it is the love of christ that is for you it was the hymn writer william howe who wrote i sometimes think about the cross and shut my eyes and try to see the cruel nails and crown of thorns and Jesus crucified for me but even could I see him die I could but see a little part of that great love which like a fire is always burning in his heart 
And so what has the story of the cross done for you this time? You may have heard it a thousand times. And so if you are stumbling in life now, know that Jesus also stumbled under a heavy burden as he bore that cross. If you are broken, well, come to the one who was broken too. If you're wounded in your heart, embrace the one who was wounded too and has scars to show for it. If you feel unloved, then bathe in the love of Christ who stretched out his arms for you. You see, whoever you are, wherever you are, you do not need to live life alone. You don't need to be in despair. You don't need to be without hope. You don't need to save yourself. He did it all for you. So come to him. Embrace Jesus in faith. Say and pray and believe in your heart. Jesus is my king too. The king who died for me. And let us know so that we can help you. And if you already know and cherish the love of Christ already, then be shocked by it once again that Jesus would do all that for you. Let's pray. Almighty Father, how deep your love is for us that Jesus would endure the cross, scorning its shame, bearing in our place your anger against sin. And so help us to respond in faith and to see the great hope we have because of him, because of your great love for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.